Hey everybody, welcome to Cyberstarter Season 1, Episode 8. If you're looking for a highly engaging and relevant discussion focused on cybersecurity entrepreneurship, covering topics from how to start a business to challenge uh, challenges that entrepreneurs encounter to strategies for effective problem solving, well then settle in because the next hour is totally aligned with absolutely all of those things and more. And we've got a very special guest, Heath Adams from TCM Security slash TCM Academy slash Breach Point uh, coming on to talk about people. So uh, Ryan, most of this season has been focused around uh, money and getting funds and VC versus bootstrap and all these other things. And we really haven't spent time talking about people. So I'm, I'm loving that we're finishing the season with this very important topic. What is your kind of philosophy around people at your business? They are your most valuable asset. Like full stop. I mean, I know we love our technology, right? We love our, our service policies and our procedures, but they're all run by people, right? And like our people are our most valuable asset, but they're also the biggest challenge, right? Tech we could fix, we could tweak, right? Policies we could tweak, procedures tweak, but people like getting them in the right spot, what they mm -hmm. want to do, what you want them to do, how to do it, make sure there's a career path. Like they are uh, your biggest challenge and also your biggest asset. So as a lot, but you know, it's kind of the reality of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And as a solopreneur, you know, this is one of those areas, again, where your business and my business kind of deviate from each other. But, you know, with with tools, with process, with SaaS applications, they're all um, just kind of uh, not sterile, but they, they lack any type of human emotion or sympathy or empathy or, you know, you know, tough days or, or, you know, family problems or something like that. So when you introduce people into the equation, you are introducing quite a bit more than just a force multiplier of being able to uh, divide and conquer some of the tasks. So, uh, you know, earlier in the season, we had Ben Johnson come on, talk about um, hire slow, fire fast. And, uh, you know, that kind of aligned with how you might approach people. Uh, so definitely interested. Today's guest is uh, particularly good. I saw Heath Adams give the keynote at Wild West Hackenfest. And essentially the uh, synthesis of his um, talk was people over profit. And uh, this is something that's very important to Heath and, and very uh, underpinning of his philosophical approach to how he manages it. And if you talk to any of his staff there at TCM Security, uh, they they champion Heath and they talk about uh, how 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 enjoyable it is to work there. So the man's definitely got some guidance and some uh, advice to share with us. So let let me kind of do the intro here. Joining us on the show, Cyberstarters, presented by ACI Learning, I might add, uh, is Heath Adams. And Heath, if you don't know, is a name that resonates with leadership, cybersecurity, and the transformative power of education in cybersecurity. Heath who's you know, mostly well-known and widely known as the Cyber Mentor, is the CEO and founder of TCM Security, a firm that specializes in pen testing and cyber training. And he's co-founder of BreachPoint, a cyber defense firm. So I guess, I guess Heath was, uh, wasn't challenged enough with one business. He was like, oh, let's go, let's go on the uh, opposite side of things here. Uh, he is an instructor. He's a mentor. He's taught over a million students, one million students across platforms, including YouTube, Twitch, and the TCM Security Academy itself. And he's considered one of the top instructors in the cyber and ethical hacking industry. He is a military veteran. So thank you for your service. Having served in the U.S. Army Reserves and helped co-found VetSec, a 501c3 dedicated to military members in cybersecurity. And when Heath is not at work, which I'm 
I, I, I don't know when he would find time not to be at work. He does enjoy spending time with his wife, Amber, and their six uh, animal children. In his free time, he does love running and trivia and watching sports. And it's good to know he likes running because I love running, and I didn't know that about Heath. So we're going to get into it. So today, Heath's going to be sharing his wealth of experience on the people side of running a business from the importance of fostering a culture of continuous learning to the challenges of managing remote workforce. Heath's perspectives are grounded in real world experience and fueled by a genuine passion to make a difference. So listen up chat, whether you're a budding entrepreneur, you're just kind of dabbling in cyber entrepreneurship or you're a seasoned business leader and you're here to get some pro tips. Um, definitely listen up, get your emotes, your digital hand claps together uh, as Heath Adams comes on and just drops knowledge bombs on top of us. Let's go get Heath and start the people episode. Let's do it. All right. Hey, Heath. How are you, man? Hello. Hello. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So today's episode uh, on Cyberstarters, we're talking about people, Heath. And, you know, really, I couldn't think of a better topic uh, for you to be the guest uh, on simply because of your keynote speech at Wild West Hackenfest that I mentioned in the intro over there around people over profit. Before we kind of dive into the deep details of how you find talent and retain talent and such, why is it why is people over profit that kind of underpinning that drives you? Yeah, it's this concept of, well, really TCM security in general is this concept of like all these things that I really didn't like working for other employers and just saying, uh, you know, a little person, you like, if I ever get a chance to be a manager or do this, I'm, I'm going to do it differently. And so uh, understanding that the, the more that you take care of the people that work for you and the people that buy your products, the, the better your profit's going to be essentially. Uh, from a you know people perspective internally, if you treat your people right, you pay your people right, you have good benefits, all these things, they're more likely to stay. And the less turnover you have, the less time you have to spend training people, and that those turnover rates and the costs associated with those are, are really high. And so uh, the more people that you can get advocating for your business and saying, this is great, uh, I love working here, that draws other talent to come work for you as well. And so it's kind of this just cyclical circle of uh, getting this talent, retaining this talent, bringing more in, and without losing that talent, and that leads to profits uh, in the long run. You don't have to focus on the bottom line because the bottom line will eventually be there. Yeah, no, I love that. So, do you think that these businesses that are hard nosed and uh, you know profit driven are are just getting it wrong? It depends on what your motive is, right? I, I think a lot of these businesses are are funded or backed, and or they're like public businesses, and so everything is so concerned with that bottom line. What do the investors think? Uh, so it, it's a little bit different when you have these these bootstrap businesses like we are, uh, no VC you know funding or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. We we be able to play by our rules a little bit, and that's kind of why the reason like we've never taken funding is because I don't want to play by somebody else's rules. I don't think that they're necessarily the right way to go about it. And and so uh, having to focus on the bottom line, I think, is ultimately the wrong approach. But it depends on what your motives are as a business. If you're purely for profit. Uh, then sure, I could see focusing on the bottom line, but it doesn't mean that you're going to have the best environment, the best place to work for. And some businesses are are fine being that that leaping pad or just a you know the, the turnover, pay your dues type place uh, without really focusing on retention as much. So, yeah, hundred percent. So, how did you start with that? Was it something that um, you started philosophically when you started the company, or did it start way before that? 
just a lot of screw-ups along the way, honestly. Um, you know, it, it's just one of those things that you learn as you go. So um, I didn't envision TCM security being all of this. I didn't really know what it was going to be. We started as a consulting company. Now we're more of a training company that does consulting. And so um, I wasn't really laying any groundwork or foundation. It was just like, as people came into the picture, I just remember how I was treated and what I liked and didn't like. And I, I brought those kind of differences and, and, you know, also listened to people as I was onboarding them and said, hey, uh, for example, when we first got our, our third employee, we could finally get benefits and uh, listening to the employees that we had and just saying, hey, what kind of benefits would you like? What does what a, a good situation look like for you? Um, and, and what can we do to, you know, kind of retain that for you and make it worthwhile? So, um, you know, listening to those things as people come on and, and what are nice to haves and getting feedback constantly from employees. It's it's a revolving door of of growth, really, and, and just uh, constant mistakes and, and learning from those and improving. Yeah, yeah, there's so much. And I've told you this privately, Heath, before there's so much that TCM security does that resonates with how I, you know, I am trying to grow and, and uh, treat Simply Cyber as a business and as a community. Do you think or how do, how do you think the fact that, you know, this just isn't a business idea where you're like, oh, here's a market need, I'm going to create a product and sell it. H how much do you think it is that you are part of the cybersecurity community and like, the you know, you're part of the people um, as well, Do, does that? How does that influence you as you drive your business and you make decisions that impact, essentially, the community? Yeah, all of our decisions are really revolving around the community as best as we can, at least. Um, you know, we we listen to to feedback and um, what went well, what didn't go well. A really good example is we just had a live training on Friday and. Uh, we sent out surveys. What did we not do well? How can we improve? That's the most thing we want to know. Like, you know, if, if you just say, hey, write me a testimonial, that's not going to do me anything. That's just going to say, oh, this was great. Loved it. OK, sure. Um, where did we screw up? How can we do better? And, and really being able to uh, focus on criticisms and, and understand those and improve, I think, is, is really where it's at. And, uh, you know, from a people perspective, hiring perspective, you don't see us post a lot of jobs mainly because we are finding people from the community that we are we are bringing on and hiring. Um, so we're, we're always watching. That's kind of why I tell people, like, go out there and network, put yourself out there, even if it's just online. People are watching. And that is where we do a lot of our interviews from and just pulling of, of talent because we don't have to go put out a ton of job postings for that. We know who's involved in the community. We know who has similar beliefs to us, who we think would gel. And we bring those people on for interviews first. If you see us posting for jobs, it's because they're really, really hard to find. And there's not somebody specifically uh, selected from the, the community to actually do that role. So um, community is everything from from feedback to people to, to, you know, honestly, anything. You have to be in touch with your community. Yeah, that's so great. So one of the hardest things that we always hear is sort of identifying the right people. You say gel, right? It makes a ton of sense with the finding the right people that want to do the right thing that has a need inside the organization that you can sort of put on this career path. Like, um, say a little bit more about sort of, you know, how do you identify those characteristics uh, when you're out there, identify, you know, looking for potential people to hire and then sort of taking them in and bringing them into the process? Because ideally you want to do this for the long term, right? Um, and so how, how do you do that? Like, how do you go about that? Yeah, we try to find people that fit our culture. And, and so that's to say that we don't want yes people. Like the last thing I want is somebody that just agrees with everything I say, because you want to be challenged, uh, but you still want somebody that can challenge you, but still believe in the overall mission of what you're trying to do. Uh, so our mission is affordability, trying to be as practical as possible, getting in front of as many people as possible. So like a lot of things that we do, especially I'll give support as an example. 
Um, our support staff is almost always filled in from people that we see on Discord that are out there just helping out, being a good member of the community and doing things that they're doing for free uh, that nobody's asking them to do. They're just putting themselves out there and being helpful people. And that's kind of like what we really appreciate is, hey, we know ultimately your values are aligned with ours. You're just giving back without wanting anything in return. And that's awesome. And so trying to identify those people, making sure that they're, they're good cultural fits, which is very difficult to do as you scale. Um, it's something that we've tried to maintain is say, okay, well, we're, you know, we're at 25 people now. Uh, what does that look like when we get to 50 people? And we've managed to maintain culture so far. And it's just making sure that you're, you're selecting people, again, that fit values, but not necessarily are just yes people. Uh, mm -hmm. You want somebody to say, yeah, this is a bad idea. Uh, you know, I would do it differently and, or just be able to feel comfortable giving their opinion without being ridiculed for it or saying you're wrong. This is this is dumb, whatever it might be. Uh, and so finding those people is very difficult. But, uh, you know, it, it's I heard you mention it in the intro. It's you, you take your time finding people, right? You hire slow. It's very true. You make sure that uh, everybody that you bring in is is very good for that particular role and is everybody's in agreement. This is the right decision. Yeah, and, go ahead, go ahead, Jerry. Go ahead, Brian. I was going to say just to back that up, and for the group listening, like Heath, I, we we talked about this a little while ago, but my understanding is TCM, you haven't let anybody go so far, and nobody's left, right? So you've got effectively 100% retention. Uh, so that's something that you know, for those listening, like that that's a big deal, really hard to achieve uh, for any organization, uh, you know, much less sort of the the needs and the services that you're providing. Yeah, we, we've had some terminations, but um, from a voluntary turnover, it's you it. know, okay. next to zero. But yeah, I mean, you, you ultimately, you, um, that's one of my mistakes early on is, you know, hiring or, or bad hiring and the things that we've done to kind of kind of fix that. But um, yeah, there's there's very little turnover. And I think a lot of that speaks to just the, the culture that we have and, and the retention, uh, you know, things that we do go out of our way for in terms of retention. Yeah. So maybe that's something that he's out a little bit because that's that's the hard part, right? You find somebody that gels that maybe does service above self. Um, and for some reason, it's just not working out, right? As long as the motive isn't, you know, profit driven and honoring the people, like, how do you go about that? So I mean, th this is something that we don't talk about. Maybe it's worth just having a conversation around like terminations are hard, right? no matter where you are in this. So uh, given your culture and what you've been able to, to do, is there a special way uh, you go about it? Um, you know, some organizations try to find another fit or some organizations, you know, just um, just sort of rip the bandit off quickly. Like, wh where do you fall on things and what have you found has worked the best? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's really, truly dependent on the person. The joke internally is if that you're you're screwing up, we give you free vacation because we, we try to because uh, we you know, we've had a couple of people that, um, you know, have, have had some, you know, some work issues and we, we either have realigned or we said, hey, take some time off, come back, figure out this is truly what you want to do. Um, and if not, how can we help you? It, you know, it's, it's rarely to the point where it's a surprise if there is a termination. Uh, we do everything on our end to retain the talent because, again, it's really difficult to go out there and try to hire and replace. I'd rather keep if, if somebody wants to be there. So ultimately, we have to come to the decision. Is this person, um, you know, is this person having issues at home and life? What, what are the issues? Is it us? Um, and then how can we help with those issues? And, and then um, if we can't, then where can we, you know, can we write them a recommendation letter? Is it something that we're worth putting our name behind? And then there's just sometimes there's just overall people that aren't meant to be there. Uh, and, and so you have to kind of weigh that on a case-by-case -case basis, honestly. Heath, I, I'm curious, do you have any uh, like practical techniques that you use to identify culture? Like, the, I feel like the traditional thing is like screening resumes and then a phone call and then maybe you come in. Like, 
at, at TCM, do you do something different where it's like, Hey, like we think this person might be a good fit. Like, let's go out to dinner, like not tell them that this is a job interview, but like, let's go out to dinner and see how they resonate. Or do you chase Cunningham was on my other show last week. And he said he loves uh, playing golf with people because it's four hours and eventually you're going to see exactly who they really are. Cause they can't pretend to be somebody for four hours, especially if they're like shanking into the woods. They're going to be like, you know, if they get all pissy or something like that, you're like, okay, well, I know who you are. So at, at TCM, do you do anything that is, uh, you know, kind of unique to identify culture? Somewhat. Um, since we're fully remote, we don't have the ability to, to really do the, you know, the golf outings or the dinner outings as much. But from our standpoint, uh, I'll tell you from personal failures that I fired myself from doing hiring. Um, like <laughs> what we typically do is we will typically take somebody that uh, is recommended internally and so again, this is why I say people are always watching. A lot of the names that we collect are from people internally. Hey, who have you seen in the community that's really good with this? And then reaching out and getting, you know, getting those interviews. From an interview standpoint, I am the last line of defense, mostly because I trust everybody. So that's one of my character flaws. And also I have recency bias. So if you're the last person to interview with me, you probably have a good chance of getting hired. Uh, so it, it's really that I... You know, we, we found people internally that are really, really good judge of characters um, from previous interviews as well. Like my my wife's really, really good at it. In fact, so she sits in on a lot of the interviews and um, there's been people that we've hired that we've had to let go. And immediately from day one, she was like, you should not have hired this person like before they even started. And, and so having people with judge a character on there that can say yes or no to an individual and me being the last line of defense just to say, hey, I, you know, I really like you. I think you're going to be a good fit as well. Um, and it's really just to reaffirm what somebody's already telling me. So they go through uh, stages of interviews with technical and non-technical people. We'll have people in those interviews that aren't just all like, uh, if it's a content creator, for example, we're not having all content creators in that interview or all technical people. We want people in there to be able to judge uh, culture fit, character fit as well. So uh, we, we add a diversity of people to the panel that's doing the interview. Uh, and then I'm just kind of last line of defense, uh, check the box kind of interview at the end. So. It makes me want. So you did mention that you are a fully remote company, which I absolutely love. I don't think I'll ever, ever go back to an office. But um, because of that challenge, um, you know, have you have you found interviewing? I mean, is it just like a Zoom call, or or do you have you implemented any kind of techniques that might make it more appropriate for remote? Yeah, we we typically do two interviews. Uh, so it's, it's I don't there's not really a great way that I've found, uh, and it depends on what we're interviewing or what position we're interviewing for. But typically we have a uh, a mixed panel of again technical non technical people, and that really works out for anything. Honestly, uh, we we do that really with pen testers, content creators, a lot of the different roles because we want you to be able to explain things at a technical level, but also realize that there's a non technical audience here. That you may have to explain to as well. So, um, you know, we, we do things like that. And then we have a second round of interview to where maybe it's more leadership or just kind of that, that final stage. Um, but it's just kind of, uh, you know, just trusting your people and saying, hey, do we think this is a good fit? Do we think who is overall the right person for the role? And ever since we moved to that model, I mean, honestly, we haven't had to terminate anybody. So it's it's just making sure that, uh, you know, you can all be in agreement and have have good fit for whatever it is you're trying to hire for. Yeah, and then there's also the the management technique once they get in, right? So sort of once you hire them and you've identified the individual, like how do you then go to, you know, everybody has to be managed slightly differently, right? So do you have different uh, management techniques for for different teams or different sizes? Or how do, you, how do you make sure that you treat them 
properly, right? Respect sort of where they're where they're going and the scaffolding you're building for them from the career side. Like how do you how do you manage that once they're in? Yeah, so a lot of it is giving some structure upfront, um, which is you know it's newer for us again. It's say in the last year, but making sure that we have. 30, 60, 90 is laid out specifically. What are your clear objectives for goals? What do we expect from you uh, early on, right? That was part of our maturity process. Um, and, and making sure that early on, and we do ask this during the interview too, is, hey, what's your management style? What's your preferred management style? Do you prefer market management? Because some people do. Do you prefer completely hands-off, something in between? What does that look like? Uh, we do a one-on-one -on -one interview with people, uh, especially as they're coming on now. And we just ask them four or five questions. But one of those questions is, uh, again, what what preferred management style? Do you want me checking in with you every day? Do you want me checking in with you once a week? How how do we want to do this? Uh, and then also, what's your you know what's your work love language? Like what what is it that you really appreciate? Is it like uh, acknowledgement? Is it small gifts? Like if I get you a Starbucks gift card, is that does that make you happy? Uh, just like little things like that. Uh, understanding ultimately what are your motivations and where do you want to be? Because some people are happy where they want to be. Some people are like, no, I want to be uh, in management or C-level or whatever it might be. Okay, so how do we get you there even if it's not with us? What can we do now? Is it leadership training? Is it like, what does that, that, that goal look like for you? And then ultimately, what are, your, what are your true motivations? Not just role, but is it like, hey, I want to come in here and make a ton of money. Okay, well, if you want to make a ton of money, re we reward innovation. So like, what innovative things do you have on your mind? How can we collaborate together? What products can we release? And then we can share some of that wealth with you. Like, what are what are some things here? So depending on motivations and, and what people want to do with their career, based on those questions that we ask, we we kind of come up with a plan on how we want to manage them moving forward and how can we help them meet some of their goals as well. I I love this uh, for two reasons. One, um, and, and by the way, just chat really quickly. I see those questions coming in. Keep dropping them. I am flagging them. And when we come back from the break, uh, we will be asking Heath all those questions. Uh, Heath, you know, you said people over profit and like, it's easy to just say that it's easy to, um, you know, like be like, oh, we're people uh, business. But, but when you're talking about interviewing and asking people like, what's their work love language? Like how, how like how do they uh, like to be appreciated? Like to me, that's very much putting them at the forefront and at the center of it versus like, oh, hey, here we do this. And like, you're going to conform yourself into the way that we do things at TCM if you want to work here. And I feel like that power dynamic is so antiquated and and like not not really uh, cool anymore. No, no one really wants that, right? You want to feel like you're part of something, not just a cog in a big machine. So uh, to me, like when I hear you say that, it's very much you... Um, you know, putting action to what your words are, right? So it, it, to me, it's very much a people, um, a people focused business. So I, I'm kind of curious, Heath, because I've never really, I, I've had to manage people, but I, I try to run away from it like as much as I can, i.e. solo business guy here. Um, how, how is, what, if, what are some lessons learned that you've picked up going from, you know, whatever, like one, one person, you to like, I think you said 45 employees now. So like, cl yeah, clearly you, you've, matured as a manager like any any like lessons learned or skin knees that you you know to to share with us yeah i mean a lot of a lot of mistakes um early on my preferred style of management is much much hands off um because i think it's just like my reaction to being so micromanaged in my previous careers that 
uh, you know, that was one of that little person in me is like, when I get to here, I'm going to do it differently. And uh, some some people take advantage of that. They they really do. And so if if you um, you have to recognize these things early on and some people think that they like hands off or they like micromanagement and really they like something in between or uh, or the other things. So you have to kind of be cognizant of, hey, this is what the person tells you give them if it's micromanagement okay give them micromanagement and then um you know if there's opportunity to back off there give give opportunity to back off same thing in reverse if they say i want completely hands off cool are you meeting all your deadlines you're getting all your work done in the time that you're saying you're doing it great we don't have to do this uh you know we don't have to meet any more than we do but if we we're not meeting those deadlines that okay micromanagement slips in a little bit and you just kind of figure that out as you go um i heard you also say fire fast that is something that i'm still working on we we tried to do like as much in our power to retain, of course, but sometimes I've, I've had experiences where there are definitely people I should have fired months prior and we gave them every single opportunity and really drug it out and ripping the bandaid is sometimes really what you need to do. And uh, you don't realize until you've been put in those situations and especially as a small business, uh, it's hard to kind of disassociate with your people as being also your friends. Um, Cause I, I'm very approachable. We have an open door policy. And so like, as we've grown, I've kind of distanced myself uh, from from newer employees. And uh, I've tr started trying to do that to, to make it seem where it's not like, hey, we're best buds, we, we are this work relationship here. And uh, ultimately, it makes that decision to maybe let somebody go a little bit easier if they're not performing, uh, you don't have that that bias built into you as well. So um, there's just honestly, it's, it's mistake after mistake and learning from those and, and just kind of implementing improvements as you go. Yeah, yeah. That, that's where you <clears throat> it sounds like like when you honor the person, right? That's where it's the it's the blessing and the curse. It sounds like that you do, right? You're, you're putting them at the center of the problem and trying to trying to find solutions for them inside the organization, um, which which your orientation to that seems like it's it's really helpful, right? But then there also comes a point where maybe there's you know sort of an, enough might be enough and you can't find the spot. And it sounds like this is what you're doing when you get to a point where it's like, all right, it's pretty clear that there isn't a spot and maybe you help sort of the exit, right? But the orientation is still around the person, which then leads to your check-ins, right? Like if they want to be micromanaged or not, then, you know, if later on check-ins turns out, yeah, I kind of need a little bit more, you know, help in this area, those start to shore up. But, but it feels like the orientation is still around honoring the person and, and getting them. And that's going to have a set of challenges on one side, but you're still putting them at sort of the forefront of the problem, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. And ultimately, we want what's best for the person. Yeah. Um, I kind of alluded to that earlier, but we have written uh, recommendation letters for people that we've terminated. And it's not it's not something like as, as long as there's not a burn bridge there. And it's something like I can give an example. We had one person that was a, a pen tester with us really wasn't cutting it as a pen tester, just did not have the technical chops, could tell the passion wasn't there. Incredibly talented person, hard worker, talented individual would still make it in cyber and I would hire them back today if it wasn't as a pen tester. So like, I'm willing to put my words behind those people, even though it was a termination that I can still go on and say, like, I recommend this person for another job. And, and so if it's a position that you can't fill with us, whether we don't have it and you, there's no growth into it. Cool. I understand that. Um, same thing with, if you just can't cut it in the position that you're in, yeah, we'll try to move you, but we are a small company. If we can't move you into a new position, then yeah, it's it's a termination, but doesn't mean that our relationship is is tarnished. Most people don't leave here on bad terms. Um, it, it's just a hey, is this working or is this not? Now, if you're an awful individual, you just came in, burn bridges, all those things. Of course, I'm not going to put my name behind you, but ultimately, we're going to try to do what's best for the person, even if that means it's not with TCM security. 
Yeah, I love that. And Jerry, before we hit the break, I just want to tease out. That's what's so interesting because like everybody, once they start to work for you, like your name is on, is with them for life, right? Um, it becomes, they become basically an alum of your organization, right? Yeah. I mean, effectively, and by putting the person first, you really sort of, you, you make, you know, you're not looking at it from the profit motive like we started at the top of the podcast with. You're looking at it from the point of view of like, hey, would, would this person be a good fit and can they last forever? And that maybe works or doesn't work, but at least when they leave, you still have good terms because there's just not a fit here. Maybe there is somewhere else, right? You got it. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. So when we come back from the break, excuse me, we'll be asking Heath Adams all of your questions uh, coming from chat. And there are a whole lot of them. We're talking with Heath Adams, CEO of TCM Security, and just wonderful human being too, Heath. I, I don't know if you get told that often enough, but you are very much a wonderful human being. So he's answering all our questions around people and business in cyber entrepreneurship. We'll come back from the break and get those questions asked. You chose a career in cybersecurity, and you follow this podcast because you're passionate about being at the top of your field. But let's face it, not all training is created equal. Don't settle for boring training that leaves you uninspired. You deserve the best to support your dreams. At ACI Learning, our instructors are legends in the field. Our studios are state of the art. We're always on so that you can be too. We're equipped to pivot and cover every emerging trend in cybersecurity. Because in this fast paced industry, you need training that keeps up. But it's not just about the expertise. Our on-demand video training is designed to be actually fun to watch. We believe learning should be exciting, not a chore. We offer training in every major vendor and certification. ACI Learning is on it, so you can be too. And don't just take our word for it. See what others are saying on Trustpilot. Real reviews from real professionals who have experienced our offerings firsthand. Choose ACI Learning, because support for your cybersecurity career deserves nothing but the best. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Heath Adams about people at the uh, at business and, you know, at his uh, small business that he's running, TCM Security. Uh, taking some questions from chat, uh, Heath, uh, Chris Whitlock wants to know, you know, you are a fully remote workforce. So what, what has been some challenges with that approach and have you been able to navigate around them? Yeah, I think the the hardest challenge for us is uh, collaboration in this sense. Like uh, you, you have the the pros and cons of the office and big pro of the office is, hey, come look over my shoulder. Let's let's sit down. Let's work on this together. Uh, let me show you something. And it's not as easy to do in a collaborative environment or it's not as easy to be collaborative remotely. Uh, so you have to really work towards that and encourage that. And I think that's something that we didn't do very well early on. But nowadays, if you are in our, our uh, company, you'll see that people will be like, hey, if anybody wants to see how I did this, and it's not just like pen test team sharing just with pen test team. Pen test team will go into the general chat and be like, hey, we did something really cool today, or we did this fish or, or whatever it might be. And we, we try to have these educational sessions with each other because ultimately like part of that core culture thing too is that we like to hire teachers. A lot of our pen testers, for example, our teachers either have taught in a professional setting or have courses on our academy, things like that. And so uh, we, we hire these people that like to, to share and educate. And I think that really helps with that collaboration aspect in a remote workforce. That's probably the biggest challenge is just getting the getting people to feel like they're part of a team and not just flying solo on and all of their engagements or whatever they're working on. 
Now, I know you use uh, Slack uh, internally. Can you kind of talk? Because that, that's a tool, you know, there's a million tools out there that people can use for, you know, business or process improvement. But you uh, told me at Wild West Hackenfest some of the uh, configurations you have with your Slack. And it sounds like if you could share how your Slack, how you're using Slack and what it's like, it sounds like it does facilitate that kind of like faux uh, in the office kind of uh, collaboration and communication. Yeah, I mean, it's a gigantic collaboration tool. Ultimately, like we we have certain channels for things, um, but like internally, we've we've got our our different team channels so they can collaborate there. And usually, that's where our day to day discussion is. So, right, it's not like the the old hey, I'm going to email you something, get this done. It's gonna hey, I'm going to tell you in Slack. Or we have uh, you know PM tools like uh, we use ClickUp for for tracking as well. So uh, being able to have some sort of management there and be able to follow tasks and have boards are are really well done. But uh, same thing is we can just communicate directly and immediately and just say, hey, uh, I've got something for you to do. But that does extend to our um, to our other customers as well. Like we've moved from doing emails with uh, consulting engagements. Like we don't have a start stop email that we send out. We have a unless the customer wants that. Like we have a collaboration environment where we'll onboard a client into Slack. We'll have a channel just for them. That channel has your uh, all their relevant team members, it'll have your testers, your red team lead, your project manager, anybody that is anybody needed to be in there will be in there. And in that way, so we're constantly communicating as well. Hey, start stops. Here are the bugs that I found. Um, you know, hey, do you want to see this? Because we are educators and teachers we will drop a share link in, in Slack and just say, hey, join this call with me. I'm going to show you how I just did this attack. And customers love that because by the time that they get the report, there's not a single surprise on that report. Everything is known. A lot of times they're already remediating before we are even finished with the test. And like, there's a lot of just good things to say, hey, we're in constant communication with clients, with, with people, with whoever it might be. And, and Slack's been really useful for that. I love it. Uh, Ryan, I know, you know, obviously you have a business uh, with staff and stuff. I mean, are you using uh, these kind of collaboration tools with any uh, effect? Similar yes. to the way Heath is, yeah. Absolutely. I think one of the things, Heath, I love what you said there about sort of like, we have this philosophy at Nuvik as well about like telling the story as it's unfolding, right? So that when you get to the end of the engagement, that there's no surprise, right? So everybody sort of has the story so you can really focus on the insights, right? So you, you know all the pieces, you know what happened, and now it's time for like, all right, what does this all mean? And it sounds like you're doing something similar in like, it, it, it's kind of table stakes, it feels like these days, because given the the, the wide variety of topics that can hit you at any given time, especially with the client side, right? They're going to need answers pretty quickly. And if they're up to speed on everything that's actually happening, then they can answer their management problems internally a lot faster than, you know, trying to get in touch with you and whatever communication mechanisms they are. Uh, and by that point, you're already behind the curve. So I love what you're suggesting there is sort of like keeping them engaged as you're going because, you know, you never know it's going to show up couple hours after you have that conversation and how useful that information might be inside the organization of the client you're serving, um, you know, to, to try to make them better. So that's, a, that's, that's great. Yeah. We use, we use that as well, but I love the fact that you tease that out in terms of like getting the information out there quickly. Yeah. I mean, ultimately it comes down to, uh, communication is the core of, for people in general, not just business. Right. And you look at like failed relationships and marriages and all those things. And they always say, I wish I communicated more. Uh, it's the same kind of concept. If you're communicating with your clients, they're less likely to leave you for somebody else that's going to communicate more. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's you just want to make sure that you're in constant contact and, and just having those conversations and uh, that you can be uh, direct with each other as well. And, and it works out really well for us.
And what's interesting, it sounds like you're doing that inside the, the organization as well. Because like I, I, I think if we, we take a step back, we have a tendency to, you know, forget that it's all human to human interaction, right? Whether you're in a relationship, you know, a friendship, a you know, romantic relationship, or a business relationship, you know, or even a company to company relationship, it's all people, right? And so, what what sort of is the common thread that you're sort of, you know, placing out here is that. If you treat them all relatively, you know, not the same in the same way, because they are very different, but in the fact that it is a relationship, then you sort of put the people first, right? And and center around that for whatever, you know, the context is, is that that, that sounds about right. I love the fact that you're actually pulling that out. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. Reggie's got a question here uh, talking about talent. So a lot of people, Heath, you know, as well as I do, a lot of people um, are, you know, starting their cybersecurity journey, starting into the industry, et cetera. How do you personally, Heath, go about selecting early talent or those new to the tech space? Yeah, again, it comes down to community for us. Um, and, and that's just our culture. This isn't the answer for every single business out there. But again, if you're somebody that's out there and just being a good person, you're giving back, we see you. Uh, that makes our decision a lot easier. And it's it's a form of networking. And we, we tell people, because a lot of us are, are introverted, uh, especially in, in the IT space. It's just, hey, going to going to conferences drains us, right? Or, or going to meetups or whatever it might be can be draining. So that doesn't mean you still can't network in other social, social situations, uh, like being on LinkedIn or being in a Discord or whatever type of community that's out there. Just being a overall good person uh, giving back and collecting that karma, I think, does pay dividends. And one thing I like to tell people, especially early on, because a lot of people are like, well, I don't know anything. I can't be uh, a contributor to this community. And that's really not true. There, there's always somebody that's going to be where you want, where you are right now. Uh, ultimately, you could have just gotten your help desk certification and there's somebody out there that doesn't help, have an A plus or help desk type certification and they're jealous of you. Uh, so don't feel like you cannot give uh, contributions or, or just be an overall positive person, good person. And, and that doesn't mean like just commenting congratulations on a post, right? It means like giving actual thoughtful comments and, and being a contributor. And that way your name is known. Uh, and that could be a seed that you're planting now that may not sprout for five years. You don't know who's going to see that, remember you and be something later on. So um, I think being just overall good person, networking and all that helps. Uh, and we, we look for that in, in terms of who we're going to bring on and hire for, for our future hires. Yeah, like 100%. I, I tell people all the time, same thing, Heath, like networking and, you know, choosing kindness and doing good things pays dividends. And th the thing is, I can't say if you do these three things within six weeks, you'll get a job like you can't, you can't do that. It's, it's much more organic, and it's much more unexpected. But there's been so many numerous examples of it happening. But like you said, it could be one day, it could be five years. Uh, as a follow up question, Chris Whitlock, I'm going to paraphrase a bit here. Um, you know, you're talking about people in the community, people who are doing good, and you know, ultimately searching there first for talent. Uh, have you been able to identify like indicators when they're ready? I'm, I'm thinking perhaps Chris is saying like, you know, you got a bunch of people in the community, right? Like your Discord server is incredibly healthy and very vibrant. So you can't hire everybody, right? So are there certain indicators that you you kind of lean on? Yeah, I mean, for, for us, it's it's going to be a timing as much of anything. Like we just had uh, help desk interviews, for example, where we have somebody starting on Monday. And my my thing was, OK, our help desk manager approached me and said, hey, like, here's why we need an, another person. And, and ultimately what it came down to is we've got 24-7, 365. However, uh, 
part of that 24 7 365 is hit significantly higher uh, during working hours and so our person on first shift was doing double the debriefs double the tickets everything else compared to the rest of the shifts because we are predominantly u.s clients mm -hmm. uh, so hey we need help on first shift this person's getting killed great okay so my directive to him was go out there and identify people they're the most in touch as our, our help desk team so from our help desk team hey who out there right now uh, over the past couple months has been very very engaging supporting uh maybe helping out in channels where otherwise people aren't doing it and who are those people okay let's identify that list from that list let's reach out and say here's the job opportunity that we have um no guarantees but here's the pay here's the shift here's the benefits would you be interested in this Cool. That narrowed it down to three people that said, right now, I could do that for that pay at those times. And then we brought those people on for interviews. So it's it's kind of time and opportunity in terms of, hey, are you ready, at least for us, uh, for yourself, we're always going to feel like we're not ready. Uh, it's just that imposter syndrome, right? And so uh, what I tell people is, if you feel like you're applying for uh, an entry-level role, let's just say like uh, entry-level cybersecurity, Go look at the commonality of posts that are out there. You have to do your due diligence and research and look at job postings now. What is the average, uh, you know, most common certification that's that's out there? What's the most common need that's out there? Do you meet those those needs? Um, go look at Reddit in the last six months. What are people saying that, hey, I had XYZ to get into this job position? And, and just kind of be honest with yourself. Am I there? Do I need to improve? Am I mostly there? Because you're never going to meet a true job posting 100%. It's just impossible. Uh, so what can I do to get there if I'm not? Or if I am there, okay, let me start applying to positions. If I'm applying to 100 positions and I don't get a single callback, okay, maybe I need to go get my resume looked at because something is wrong if I think I am should be getting calls back. You're getting to the interview phase and you're not getting to a second or third interview. Cool. Something's wrong with your interviewing. Where are you failing on these, these questions? Where do you need to improve? Get feedback from your interviewers. That's very important as well. So you have to kind of assess and do a self-assessment because nobody can tell you exactly where you're at and just say, am I ready in, you know, to start applying? Am I getting callbacks? Am I doing all the things I need to do? What's going wrong and where am I failing across these stages? So, uh, you know, ultimately it's a self-reality check that you need to perform, but we're also, in terms of community, we're always looking and it's just right place, right time for, for a lot of these, at least for us, but it doesn't mean that other people aren't watching as well. Yeah, and that's helpful in so many different places, especially on the job, right? Because there's, there's nothing worse than getting a job and feeling like you can't actually do it and then later finding out that you actually can't yet, or or the opposite where you, you feel like you can't, but you, you know you've got the raw skills and can learn quickly. Right. So I, I love the self-check piece because a lot of times, you know, what we feel like is if we're if we're identifying something we want to do, but don't have the skills to it, but sort of pretend like we do, then all of a sudden you're setting up both the company and yourself for for failure. So uh, and nobody really wants that. Right. It's which is different, of course, than being like being insecure about your skills. Right. But actually pretending like you have the skills, which you don't can lead everybody into straight. That's that's sort of the downside that we don't always talk about. <laughs> right? We yeah. see sometimes. And I can tell you that both the core jobs that I got leading into pen testing, neither of them I was qualified for, like wildly unqualified for. I, I remember my help desk job like I was I had my mouse hovering over the X because as I was going through the application, they were like, you need three years of experience. You need a plus net plus security plus. I didn't have any of it. Um, but I, I knew like the worst thing that's going to happen with this is they're going to say no. Um, and I felt like I had enough of it. Like I had been using computers since I was four. I felt I knew my way around Google. I could troubleshoot a lot of things. Uh, and, and so ultimately it came down to just, uh, you know, 
yoloing almost shipping shipping it in and just doing it and uh, same thing with my second job it was a network engineer position and i they needed ccna certifications all these things i ended up interviewing uh it went so well they gave me a senior position and they i, I said hey you know if like you hire me on for this i will go get my ccna whatever deficiencies you think i have I will go do that. And just really saying like having that confidence to go in there and say like, I know I'm deficient in these areas already. I will come get this done. And for me, I, I got my CCNA within the first month of being employed. So it's just like, how much are you willing to contribute? And where are you honest with yourself on your deficiencies? It is that reality check, but also not being afraid to, to ship that application in because you don't meet everything you're not going to. Uh, so again, worst thing is going to happen is they're going to say no. Make sure you're realistically applying to, to real jobs. Like you're not going to go apply for a director level position if you've never worked a day in IT, but some people do yellow that application in. Um, it's just not going to get you anywhere, right? So you have to be realistic with yourself and, and really do that reality check in terms of what you're capable of doing and what you think you'd actually be qualified for. And this is so important, especially for those listening. Like this is so important. It's it that we, I, we hear all the time that people are discouraged from applying because they see the requirements, even though they know they can do the job, or maybe in your case, pass the job, but they stop at the requirements list, you know, especially at certifications. We get this all the time, right? And and, and there's a plenty of people on the camp of like certs don't matter, the merit-based ability to do the job is, right? And so there's this distinction sometimes in where the HR department thinks is actually required versus what's actually required for the job. So what I love about what I'm hearing with you is, you know, if, if you know you can do the job, and this feels like something you do, go for it, regardless of what the uh, time in grade, if you will, you know, three years plus or certifications might be, because, you know, uh, only you can stop yourself from getting the right job, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's just going to come down to, to you putting yourself out there and, and being honest with yourself on what you're, you think you're capable of. Um, and and that, that's in both directions, right? We can be overly confident and underconfident. Uh, and so you have to really do a self-assessment and say, where do I think I can be right now? Uh, and don't let the, I guess, the inner demons get a hold of you and say, you're not ready. Because uh, a lot of times we are ready. We just don't put ourselves out there because we're too afraid to. Yeah, 100%. Real quick, since you're a training organization as well as a practitioner, um, are there any skills uh, either skill learning or uh, adaptive uh, merit-based assessments on either side of those that some individuals might be able to take if they're interested in um, in getting a job either in pen testing or in training? Yeah, with us specifically right now, we've got what's called the PCRP program. It's a, the career readiness program is what we call it. And that is, uh, you go through the, the PMPT certification, so it's really geared towards pen testers. Uh, so you go through all of the courses and training for the, the PMPT, you have a one-on-one -on -one with us and you, you kind of have that accountability partner. Um, and then that gets into once you pass your your technical training, then you have to go through a seven hour soft skill course. And it's like, hey, how do I actually look for jobs? How do I interview? What's the star method? What do I put on my resume? How do I do all these things that nobody's really out there teaching people how to do? Uh, and, and then we we do a resume review. We do a mock interview with you. We, we get technical. We give you feedback. And so we kind of help you every step of the way to kind of get you into that readiness uh, for the job. Because, yeah, a lot of a lot of training platforms just stop at, hey, you, here's your technical training. You're, you're off. Go do it. But then that just leads to really, really bad interviews, bad resumes, all those things. So uh, I'm not saying we're the only place in terms of doing this. You just have to go out there and collect this kind of information. Like, how how can I interview? What are like, how do I answer behavioral questions? What do I expect in these interviews? Go do your research on Glassdoor. On the company, a lot of times you can find interview questions, go talk to people that have worked in that position before, worked with that company before. Like a lot of this data can be collected on your own. 
Um, go get somebody to help you with the resume review. You don't have to pay for a service out there. People will do it for free. We've got a resume review spot in our Discord. Like there are resources out there that can help you. You just have to collectively combine those as well. So um, make sure you're focusing on the soft skills on top of the technical skills in order to get into the workforce. Earlier today, uh, Heath, during the show, you had mentioned having an open door policy. And, and then later on, as the company grew, you kind of distance yourself from new hires uh, because if you have to terminate them, it, it, it's a little bit easier because you don't, you know, it's not like firing your friend. Um, <clears throat> Jay and Michelle had an interesting question. Um, again, I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase it, but do you have a mechanism for employees to, to voice complaints or constructive feedback, perhaps? I know you're, you're very much into feedback and, and, you know, uh, the company overall, but like, what, like, what does it look like there at TCM? How have you seen it work and how have you seen it not work? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that we encourage it so much so that you shouldn't be afraid to say it. Um, you know, whether it's to your manager or the whole idea is open door is it's kind of military esque, right? Cause being a veteran, uh, a lot of military is, Hey, go to your chain of command. But if something is wrong with your chain of command, you can always skip over them and say, I've got a problem with, with X person or X process or anything. Um, but in, in terms of like, uh, like processes or any of those stuff, we, we have recommendation channels. We've got things where people can say like, I, you know, I disagree with this or I agree with this. And our goal is to never make you feel stupid for that. Right. It's not like any recommendation is a good recommendation, whether or not we implement or not, we do appreciate the feedback. Um, and then if you ever have a problem, we've got HR, we've got, uh, you know, myself at the problem with, is with me, you can go to your manager, HR, somebody is comfortable bringing that up to me. Um, there, there's plen plenty of people within the organization that um, we've got comfort points, should you have an issue with, uh, with one channel of, uh, of elevating your, your concerns. Awesome. Well, and I appreciate that because I've, I've worked at places that have open door policy, but it's, it's lip service. Cause you go in there and you just get put on blast and you're like, Oh, this, I'm not doing this again. Like that was a mistake. Um, so I appreciate that you do it that way. Uh, let, let's pivot really quickly. Cause we only have a few minutes left. I want to, I want to talk, we talked about how to find people, how to manage people, how to retain people. Right. Uh, but what about when it's time to move on from people, uh, what, you know, what are your thoughts and I guess what, you know, words of wisdom might you share with chat here who are thinking about growing uh, a business? Yeah, it's it's the hardest part. Um, you, you have to do an assessment and say, you know, first things first, can this person be improved? Like, is, is there opportunity here um, for for improvement? And also inner reflection is uh, are there shortcomings because of us or because of them? If it's because of us, what can we do better internally to make sure that they can be more successful? Um, is it like management style, for example? If somebody is, we're, we're, they need micromanagement, we're not giving them that, then that's a failure on us. Um, ultimately, your accountability and responsibility should be at the top moving down. Um, so anytime there's a failure, ultimately, if there's a failure at the bottom of the company, that's still my fault. Uh, and so we we have to evaluate from that process. And then you look at the individual and you you create a roadmap. Like, Again, the, the firing is never a surprise unless you went and did something so detrimental that it was an instant termination, which we've not had to happen. Um, but it, it's one of those things that we say, hey, we're, we're having concerns around this. Uh, it usually starts with a verbal verbal warning. Um, from there, it's again, hey, we've got concerns. We're going to write you up uh, and, and continue on. So by that time, it's either, hey, you know, we, we need to pull this plug or we need to do you know something different. And, and so each case is, again, a little bit unique and different. It's going to come down to the the company and the person and figuring out what makes the most sense. So we try not to rip the Band-Aid right away. 
Uh, we're a lot faster than we used to be. We definitely let people stay on for much longer than they need to be. But we still believe in in fixing the person or fixing the problem before just terminating and rehiring because there's uh, usually something at the bottom of of what's going on. And usually you can address it. Not always, but usually. Um, and we found that that helps with retention and, and keeping people around. Yeah, and I mean, if if you're familiar with Heath and Heath's products, uh, the PNPT, like literally, it, I'm just thinking about it. Um, if you fail the PNPT, TCM Security lets you take it again for free because Heath says it's a failure on TCM Securities or TCM Academy not properly training you to pass the PNPT. And I, and I feel like that is... So, you know, you holding yourself accountable. And it sounds like that's the same kind of philosophy that you've applied as, uh, as a manager or as a, as a business owner, essentially. Yeah. And there's, there's a good book around this. Um, if you've been in the military before, you kind of already make sense, but, uh, the book's called extreme ownership and it's by Navy SEALs talking about this, right? Like ultimately if something happens underneath you, it's a failure on your, your part. If something is failing, ultimately it's, it's from the top down. Um, so it's it's not like I'm going to go and say, like, I'm blaming this person. Like if a manager is mismanaging somebody, ultimately, that's my fault still that that person is failing as a manager. So how do we fix that to fix the, the lower problem? And it, it just trickles down. So you have to have that accountability first and then figure out um, how you can apply fixes and changes if if it's possible uh, to to move forward. I love it. And uh, so a couple of questions. I'm going to I'm going to add two here because we're almost out of time, Heath. But people are asking in chat. Uh, there's two things. One, Lazara wants to know around blue team certs and, and, and kind of TCM Academy's roadmap around defensive security related stuff. And then Jay and Michelle wants to know what's your conference lineup look this year. So kind of as we look forward at some of the things that we can expect to see from you and from TCM security slash TCM Academy, uh, what, what, what can you, uh, what can you spill to, to chat here, uh, publicly? Sure. Uh, we're actively hiring for blue team content creator. So if that is you, really what we're looking for is probably at least five years experience, uh, some teaching experience there. If you don't know how to edit or record, that's not the biggest deal. It's really, you can't teach teaching that much. You can teach the editing and the other portions, but we're looking for somebody that, that has significant background in blue team, um, SOC 1, SOC 2 type courses, even SOC management, uh, incident response, forensics, any of those areas are of interest to us. And we are actively hiring, paying very well for the position. Uh, if that's you, send a PDF resume to recruiting at tcm-sec.com. Um, and that position's open. You can also check our Discord. We've got a posting in there as well. Um, from a conference perspective, we are going to for sure be at DEF CON and uh, Wild West Hacking Fest in official capacity. Uh, we do attend other conferences in unofficial capacities all the time. I was at CactusCon this weekend. Uh, so it, it just depends on, on those. We don't have anything locked in per se for having a booth at for now. Um, in, in terms of growth for us, we we have this idea of working backwards to move forwards. So we started out as this like almost beginner to intermediate pen test training company. We launched the PMPT, which was great. Um, but we started saying, okay, well, not everybody wants to be a pen tester. And so getting going backwards a little bit and offering something like a PJPT, which is a junior penetration testing certification and saying, okay, well, that opens the door for people that are in blue teams, maybe to just learn the attack side of things or people who maybe want to dip their toes in pen testing without going on and taking a full fledged difficult pen test exam. And so this idea of working backwards first, a lot of people are asking, hey, where are the advanced certifications? Well, we got to release junior ones before we can get to the advanced ones. And honestly, even more so, we're looking at getting into the high schools and earlier education. And so 
releasing like a help desk course, releasing a network course, a security one-on-one type course to lay that foundation so that we can get in there early on. Uh, That's a big reason for the partnership that we have with Pico CTF this year is how do we get in front of the the younger audience to bring them into the the next generation? And how do we teach them from a a practical standpoint? Because you go take a CompTIA A+, find certification, gets your job, but ultimately it's not a practical exam, it's a multiple choice exam. So how do you teach people how to fix things practically and get hands on and what does that look like? And so uh, taking those ideas and building upon them, same thing with Blue Team, that's why we're hiring Blue Team now. It's a 10 to one. If you wanna go be a Blue Teamer, 10 jobs to one red, red team job. Yeah. So uh, a lot of opportunity there, huge market there and not a ton of training platforms there still to this day that meet kind of what we do. Uh, there's a lot of like a lab-based training, there's a lot of text-based training, but video content, kinesthetic learning, hands-on, practical. If you want to go start a million-dollar business right now and you're a blue teamer, go do that uh, because there's nothing out there doing that exactly. Uh, and so there's there's plenty of opportunity for growth in the education space, and there's plenty of room for multiple organizations to be here. Uh, so like there's there's a lot on the roadmap, a lot of ton of things we're doing. We're, we're putting out a OSINT certification this week. Uh, we'll have a mid-tier web app certification coming in no later than April. So um, just just keep watching. We've got a lot of things coming out. Oh, that's awesome. And real quick, people are asking about your uh, Discord server. Do you have like a hot link to it? Yeah, it's uh, discord.gg forward slash TCM, Tango Charlie Mike. Okay, so we'll, we'll drop that in chat. Um, I'll just do it really quickly right now. All right, there we go. So people can jump on there. I know you've got a very healthy uh, Discord server. A uh, lot of projects coming down the pike, obviously. Uh, busy man. Uh, Heath, uh, thanks so much for taking an hour out of your time to share all these lessons learned with with the community and with with Ryan and I today. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. Of course. Thank you so much. And if you ever don't want to do this anymore and you just want to be a hype man, I think you've got a good job. You did. We were talking about the intro beforehand. You you absolutely crushed the intro way more than I could have even put thought into it. So I might have to go back and steal that from you. Oh. Um, but <laughs> thank, thank you so much for the time, both of you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, um, you know, on this this season. And I'm you know, I'm, I'm flattered and I really appreciate what both of you are doing. So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. And uh, everybody in chat, you know, do a little like emote clapping for uh, Heath Adams. Uh, Ryan, I think it's time for our key takeaways. What do you say? A hundred percent. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Heath. All right, let's do it. All right, Ryan, what, you know, hell of a, hell of a, sorry, Kennedy. (laughs) Hell of a show. Heath just yeah. dropping knowledge bombs everywhere. Like I said before, like he and I've told him this privately. He like his company and what he's done. It's it's like a couple years in the future of where I want to be. It's like v- very inspiring what he's done and how he's done it. And one that um, I have an affinity for and it resonates with me. H- him and um, Black Hills Information Security. The way that John runs his company too is just mm-hmm. impressive. But what were your key takeaways, Ryan? Well, on that, I think like you can see it, right? When you have a head of an organization like that pulling it together, like you can see where they're going and why they're doing it. And it's sort of contagious because you're like, oh yeah, I want to jump in on that. And here's here's the piece I can help with. So it's really important, especially, you know, when you're when you're leading an organization like that, especially around like today's topic, like people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so a lot to pull from today's discussion, right? You could almost go back and listen to it 20 times. And pull something different each time that sort of the top three for me was it started with it was very clear you know sort of the respect of the organ the respect you put on an individual from bringing them into the organization right it starts there versus a business reason 
right? Mm -hmm. Like we have a need and you must fill this need versus no, like let's hire and retrain. I think he said hire, retain and treat them well from the beginning, you know? And one of the things that I loved what he said was like, find your work love language. Like that yep. matters. Like that, nothing speaks to like the center of what a person really wants, right? Is like digging deep enough to find out what that is. So you make sure you cherish it and nourish it and make sure they're hearing it from you as long as you're still a fit, right? That was really, really cool. Um, and then of course, like, you know, the natural next one is skill alignment. Like, you know, what I loved about sort of the skill alignment piece that he had mentioned that he's like, I fired myself from hiring. And it was, it, because it's very clear about where his biases were, right? Yeah. It was like, look, I got a recency bias or like I trust people pretty much unanimously until they otherwise treat me wrong, right? And so what's interesting is like you look at that from a hiring perspective and you can see where, you know, his view of running the organization that way or helping others think of it, the organization that way is so important that, you know, maybe, you know, we need a little more rigor in the gate before you come in, right? And so sort of thinking that skill alignment with the job is weakly important from the people side. And then, you know, last one, of course, is like identifying shortcomings, mm -hmm. right? I thought that was a really, really uh, clever way of putting it in terms of like, you know, is it the person or is it the company? Because, you know, a lot of times from the organizational side, you'll think it's, you know, things aren't working well. Uh, it could be from the from you know the individual the individual not the company where right. you know he's very clear like look no let's make a quick assessment of where we are and see like is it us you know are we taking full ownership of the problem or not so there's a lot you know but uh those are sort of my three key takeaways yeah 100 percent. and and um you know what a what a, just an excellent excellent uh choice for a way to end season one with heath um the one thing that jumped out to me really was the work love language thing that's something you know for, for this show and the goals of the show and for all of you in chat like it's not just to bring on successful business people and, and have them tote how awesome they are it's to deliver actionable tips, techniques, you know, you heard Heath say he's made many, many mistakes on his journey. Um, so if we can help each other not make those same mistakes and move quicker, faster, stronger, mm -hmm. um, that's what we want to do. So this work love language, it really does remind me when I first started making YouTube videos, uh, Ryan, I was like, oh, I know what people want to know. Like, I'll make a purple team video. I know what people want to know. And I, I quickly found out, I'm sure Heath did too. I quickly found out that it wasn't what people wanted like those were not the questions or the concerns or the things people wanted more information on so i was making a gross assumption i also assumed that my entire audience would be uh kids graduating college about to enter workforce and it wasn't it's mostly people pivoting from in industry so listening to people and asking them for questions is how i've pivoted and asking someone what their work love language is so smart because it it tells them one thing it says what it's important for me to understand what's important to you. And I think when you do that, you, you elevate that person and you, you basically, um, you become someone who's there to serve them, uh, right. in a way that, you know, serves, serves the business. And I, I love that. That's how I, that's how I run simply cyber. So I yeah. love it. <laughs> and it's also the one thing we don't talk much about is it's also great leadership, Mm -hmm. Right. Because you're, you're, you're supporting the individual versus think about the opposite side, the narcissist, right? Look at me, look how great I am. Like that, that's contagious for a bit. And then you're like, well, wait a minute, what, what, what am I getting out of this other than following you? Yeah. Right. And from a leadership standpoint, and we don't talk about this that much. It's like, that's a, that's a really key piece to it to say, like, how do I, how do I respect the person and identify what they want so they can be better. Right. And then attract people and enjoy what they want. And it's, it was, it was really good. It was really refreshing having a conversation with, with Heath.
Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it for season one. We do have a bonus, a surprise special for everybody. Next Tuesday, Ryan and I will return with a season one kind of recap retrospective, just like what we were talking about minutes ago with the business. Ryan and I want to talk to you about season one. We want to talk to the community, solicit feedback. Who would you like to see in season two? What topics would you like to discuss? Mm -hmm. What did you not like about what we're doing up here? And what did you like? So we can do more of the what you like and less of what you don't like. We, Ryan and I, are, are doing cyber starters to serve the community. So it's very important for us to do this retrospective uh, activity uh, next Tuesday. So if you've been with us the entire season, thank you so much for trusting us with this awesome responsibility. And we hope that you can attend next Tuesday and be part of making season two a banger. Ryan, any final thoughts before we close out? No, but thank you everybody for, for listening and looking forward to hearing your thoughts uh, next Tuesday. Absolutely. All right. I'm Jerry. He's Ryan. Your chat. Until next time, y'all stay secure. If you got value from that amazing interview. Be sure to check the entire back catalog of CyberStarters interviews for more tips on launching and the effective business operations for cybersecurity entrepreneurs. You won't want to miss our next episode. I guarantee it. Join the Simply Cyber Discord server at simplycyber.io slash discord to chat with the larger community and be made aware when we go live. We want all your questions answered. Until next time, I'm Jerry for Cyberstarters. Stay secure.